Good morning, EBC, and Happy New Year. Thank you for joining us today on the first day of 2023. Isn't it cool that we get to celebrate together with our church family today? Uh, my name is Danny Bolin. I'm the worship pastor here at EBC. I want to start this morning, I want to start our talk by, uh, with a little experiment, if you will. Have you guys ever played the game uh, Put a Finger Down? You ever done that? So here's how it works. you got to put ten fingers up. Ten fingers up. And here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to read the Ten Commandments, and I want you to put a finger down when I read one that you think that we no longer should obey or observe. Okay? Sorry. I actually want you to put a finger down if I read one that you think we should ob observe and obey. Does that make sense? Right? Okay. If you don't think that, then don't put the finger down. Right? If you don't think we should observe and obey it. Right? Okay, I'm going to read them. Ready? First commandment. You must not have any other God but me. You must not make for yourself an idol of any kind or an image of anything in the heavens or the earth or the sea. That's number two. No idols. Number three is you must not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Number four is remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Number five, honor your father and mother. Number six, do not murder. Everybody look around right now. Make sure everybody put one down. Good. Uh, you must not commit adultery. You must not steal. That's eight. You must not testify falsely against your neighbor. And you must not covet your neighbor's house or their wife or female or male servant or ox or donkey or anything else that belongs to your neighbor. How many fingers you got up? How many of these commandments are you faithful to? You can put your fingers down now, or your hands, okay? Thanks for participating with me on that. How many are you observant to? How many are you obedient to? I have a sneaking suspicion that when I read that one about the Sabbath, that even if you put a finger down on that one, you thought about keeping it up. And even if you did put one down there, you, you probably maybe shouldn't have because we, our, our actions kind of prove that's not a value for us, right? I mean, who really has time for a Sabbath? You're probably thinking, Danny, this is America. We've outgrown that. That's an ancient Jewish custom. The Sabbath is outdated. In our modern Western world, we don't have any need or any time for that anymore. I, I have to be real with you. That is kind of how I thought about the Sabbath. I would try to take a day off once a week, but most of the time that day just got filled up with all the other things that I didn't have time to do during the week. It was kind of my catch-all day. Do you guys experience that? Right up until my sabbatical in May. I read a book that changed the way that I viewed the Sabbath. It's called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Comer. I really encourage you to read it. Since our sabbatical in May, Sabbath has been a value in our house, and it's been one of my biggest blessings this year. It's become our favorite day of the week. We chose Fridays as our Sabbath because that's my day off from, from work here at the church, and I DJ weddings many times on Saturdays, and so... So Fridays just work best for us. 
We homeschool our kids, and so Saturdays are now a school day because we Sabbath on Fridays. And that, that can go, it, lots of people think of Sunday as our Sabbath day, but it, it, it can be whatever works best for you. You might be thinking, okay, that must be nice, but I would just never have time for that. We didn't have time for it either. We didn't, we, we had to set boundaries. We had to, to tell people no. And we even made people angry with those boundaries sometimes. I guarantee that you're going to have to set boundaries. That you're going to have to tell some people no. But the only people offended by your boundaries are those who want to offend your boundaries. The Sabbath day is mentioned over 110 times in the Old Testament alone. Its significance in the lives of the Israelite people can't be overstated. Observing the Sabbath was arguably the most vital and the most essential practice of being an Israelite in the ancient biblical times. It's one of the longest running traditions in any culture in the whole world. The word Sabbath in Hebrew is Shabbat. Can you say Shabbat? It's fun to say, isn't it? Say it again. Shabbat. Very nice. And that means literally to stop. And in the Torah, that's the first five books of the Bible. That's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy. No, sorry. Exodus, Leviticus, uh, Genesis, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Wow. That was painful for all of us. Okay. But we made it. We made it, guys. Um, God gives, in the, in the Torah, he gives, he gives two different reasons why he wants the Israelites to Sabbath. He, um, God gives, he gives two different reasons. He, he wants us to Sabbath and to set that day apart from all the other days of the week. The first reason comes in Exodus 20. It says this. Remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. You have six days each week for your ordinary work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. On that day, no one in your household may do any work. This includes you, your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, your livestock, and any foreigners living among you. Are you ready for the why? It says, for in six days, the Lord made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and everything in them. But on the seventh day, he rested. That is why the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and set it apart as holy. So why does God want us to Sabbath? Because God rested. Genesis 2 says, so the creation of the heavens and the earth and everything in them was completed. On the seventh day, God had finished his work of creation. So he rested from all of his work. And God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy because it was the day when he rested from all of his work of creation. That word rested is the word Shabbat. It says God stopped. Think about that for a second. God rested. It makes sense for humans to need to rest. We're finite creatures. We get get tired. We have limits. We have to sleep and recover. But this is Yahweh we're talking about. The king of the universe. 
the infinite being that spoke our world into existence, our perfect God with infinite resources, infinite energy, infinite mental capacity, infinite mental health, and infinite time. And God rested. John Mark Comer says this in his book about Sabbath. He says, God rested, and in doing so, he built a rhythm into the DNA of creation, a tempo, a syncopated beat. God worked for six and rested for one. When we fight this work six days, Sabbath one day rhythm, we go against the grain of the universe. And to quote the philosopher H.H. Farmer, if you go against the grain of the universe, you get splinters. Do you feel like you have splinters from going against the grain of the universe? Do you feel tired? Do you? Do you feel worn out? Do you feel sporadic? Like you're always moving from one thing to the next thing to the next thing? Like you just never have enough time in the day? See, are you a workaholic? I've I've heard it said so many times, and I've even said it myself, I would rather be a workaholic than for someone to think I'm lazy. Laziness is another sermon for another day. That's not good either, right? But as Americans living in a capitalistic society, if we're being real with ourselves, laziness probably isn't our issue. But if we're really honest with ourselves, workaholism is our problem, and it comes with splinters. Some of the splinters of workaholism are family issues. You're going to, you're probably going to neglect your relationships with your friends and your family. You're going to have burnout and stress. Workaholism decre decreases your mental health and mental, um, and your physical health. You're going to have, this is the worst of all, you're going to have confusion of your identity. Identity determines everything that we do. If we play this game of going after and chasing after everything that the American dream has to offer, we're going to think that that's who we really are rather than finding our true identity as a child of the king of the universe. Workaholism's root emotion is insecurity. Insecurity only comes when we are confused about our identity in Yahweh. Some of y'all need to hear that one again. Workaholism's root emotion is insecurity. Insecurity comes only when we are confused about our identity in Yahweh. Some of the Sabbath is a built-in reminder that we are not defined by what we do. We are defined by who we are. We rest in our identity as children of God. God gives a second reason in the Torah, in the book of Deuteronomy, for the Sabbath. Deuteronomy 5 says, Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, as the Lord your God has commanded you. You have six days each week for your ordinary work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. On that day, no one in your household may do any work. This includes you, your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, your oxen and donkeys, and other livestock, and any foreigners living among you. All your male and female servants must rest as you do. You ready for the second reason? Remember that you were slaves 
in Egypt. But the Lord God brought you out with a strong hand and powerful arm. That is why the Lord your God has commanded you to rest on the Sabbath day. So the second reason why God wants us to Sabbath is to remember Egypt. God says, don't forget where you came from. Don't forget Egypt. Don't forget the striving, the oppression, the hopelessness, the never having enough, the suffering. See, God hates slavery and oppression. That's why he wants us to Sabbath, because it's the opposite of those things. God hates slavery and oppression so much that the two most cosmically significant moments in history that God steps in on behalf of his people to rescue them is out of slavery and oppression. That's what God does when he sets up his kingdom. He rescues his people out of slavery and oppression and then invites them to live under his rule and reign. This is the story of the Exodus. He steps in, he crushes Egypt on behalf of his oppressed people, he takes them to Sinai, and he enters into a covenant with them. That's where we read that first in Exodus. That's the Ten Commandments. That's where he gives those. He invited them to live under his reign as king. Then Jesus did the same thing on our behalf. He stepped in and crushed the ultimate Egypt. We were slaves in our sin. To, to the slave, we were slaves in our sin in Egypt, in the Egypt of our sin and death. And Jesus is the better Moses who comes in and rescues us, his people, out of that slavery and oppression of sin and death. And then he invites us to live under his rule and reign as king. That's what the kingdom of heaven looks like. To live under the rule and reign of King Jesus. That's what Sabbath is all about. It's living one day every week like the kingdom of heaven has already come in all of its fullness. It means stop. Stop striving. Stop the oppression. Stop the discontentment. Stop the never-ending stream of desire and just exist with your maker for a day. Sabbath is about liberation from slavery to rest in Eden. See, I don't know what you've been told about heaven, but I I bet you've been told something similar to me growing up. My dad was a pastor I was probably in church more than I was at home. I knew all of the churchy answers growing up. But for some reason, the idea of heaven just never got me excited. I knew I didn't want to be in hell. But the idea of heaven sounded just kind of boring. When my dad passed away in 2017, I knew that he loved Jesus And that he was in heaven, but I needed concrete answers about what that actually looks like and what scripture really says about it. What I understood about heaven was passed to me through a collection of misguided teachings from my home Baptist church mixed with what pop culture thinks 
heaven is. The idea I had about heaven was that one day my soul would fly off into the clouds, into a, a golden city where I would play on a harp and sit on clouds all day, and I'd be in one very long church service that lasted for all eternity. Have you heard that? I love church services, guys. I love you all. But about an hour a week is pretty good for me. Right? I have severe ADHD and a church service that lasts for all eternity sounds a lot more like that other place. Am I right? I needed the truth. I needed to see what scripture really has to say about heaven. And guys, it is so much better than that. The Bible teaches that heaven is coming here. Right here on earth. The Bible doesn't teach this spiritual escapism that a lot of us have been taught. In fact, that whole flying off into the clouds is only a soul idea is a lot more Plato than it is Jesus. Jesus came to establish his kingdom right here on earth, and that's exactly what he did. One day when he comes back, he's going to set up his kingdom in its fullness. And the entire world is going to be resurrected and transformed into heaven. And our physical bodies at that moment will be raised from the dead. And we will live on earth. Earth and heaven coming back together again. It's a partnership between heaven and earth. See, Jesus' resurrected body was that perfect partnership of heaven and earth. Jesus' resurrected body is the prototype for all new creation. His resurrected body had properties that were totally different from his pre-crucifixion body. But in some ways, it was really similar to his pre-crucifixion body. After his resurrection, he walks seven miles with some of his most devoted disciples, and they don't even recognize him. And then he would just appear in a room and disappear without using the door. But sometimes his resurrection body was familiar to those who loved him and followed him. He still had the wounds in his hands and his side. He, his resurrected body was him. It had characteristics and properties that were the Jesus who lived on earth for 33 years. But there was something so different about him that even the Bible finds it difficult to describe. And that's what we can expect when our bodies are physically resurrected, on the, when the world is fully transformed into new creation when Jesus comes again in his fullness. So if that's, that's the end, that's the very, very end, right? So if that's how it ends, then what happens when we die as believers? Where is my dad now? Well, scripture says to be absent of the body is to be present with Jesus. So when we die, there is a temporary place where our soul and our consciousness will immediately go and be with Jesus. And that is also heaven because we're going to be right there in the presence of Jesus. That's where my dad is now. That's where your loved ones are that have gone before us that loved Jesus. 
It's a far better form of existence than we have right now. But it is also temporary. And they, and they, they those who have gone ahead, also wait their full resurrection on that last day. If this is blowing your mind right now, I know exactly where you're at. I know exactly how you feel. I encourage you, go read 1 Corinthians 15, the whole chapter, and then email me or text me and let's go get some lunch or coffee or something and let's unpack it together. We can also look at the Garden of Eden when we are um, when we want to know what our eternal lives are going to be like. The Bible is constantly calling back to the Garden of Eden when it describes heaven. Jesus even says to the criminal on the cross, today you will be with me in, yeah, in paradise. That word in Greek is paradisos, which literally means garden. Certainly Jesus was thinking about one garden when he was on the cross dealing with the matter of sin, the place where it all began. It's also the same word that the, that the Greek, it's the same Greek word that the Septuagint translators translate Eden as, the Old Testament. The story of the Bible ultimately is how heaven and earth were once joined together in a partnership but because of human sin, those, those heaven and earth have to be separated. And now because of what Jesus has done on the cross and through his resurrection, those things, heaven and earth, can come back together again. And it's our job to bring heaven here. Our primary goal as believers is to live like God's kingdom has already come. The Bible gives uh, some details about what our lives are going to be like one day in God's kingdom. We're going to go through these pretty fast. There's going to be full shalom. That's God's peace. There's not going to be any war. The prophet Isaiah talks about how we're going to hammer our swords and our, 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 swords and our, our uh, spears into plowshares and pruning hooks. Because you're not going to need any weapons, but a plowshare and a pruning hook. Those are gardening tools. There's not going to be any death there, which means we're all going to be vegetarian. Just like in the Garden of Eden, no creature has to exist at the expense of any other creature. I'm pretty sure, though, that the celery is going to taste like bacon. Okay, so we can look forward to that. Abundance of food and resources. We're going to work but not labor. The work we do in the kingdom of God is going to be enjoyable. It's not going to be tedious or monotonous. It's enriching. God is a creator. He doesn't shy away from work. And we are his image bearers. We're meant for that as well. In Genesis 2, even before the fall of man, God gives Adam tasks to take care of and to rule over the Garden of Eden. We're going to have full, unadulterated worship. But we need to broaden our idea of what this, is, this actually looks like. It's not just singing. It's, and it's not just one long church service. I think we're going to continue to do some of the things that we do now. Some of the things that we love about this world that honor and please God. 
I don't see anything in Scripture where those things aren't going to be there. See, I, I love disc golf. Do we have any disc golf guys in the room or girls? Anybody? Okay, very few. Good. Okay. Um, when I play disc golf, I'm admiring God's beautiful creation. I am fellowshipping with my brothers in Christ, and I always kick their tails. Always. I'm utilizing physics, and I'm witnessing physics. See, these are all things that God created for us. Why wouldn't they be there? And yes, we're definitely going to be singing and worshiping Jesus as well. The last thing is the best thing, and that's full, unlimited access to God's presence. We will get to see Jesus face to face. Can you think about that moment? That's what will actually make it heaven. Because when it comes down to it, heaven isn't just a place. It's a person. It's Jesus. Sabbath is living for a whole day, every week, like that reality is already here. Sabbath is about liberation from slavery to rest in Eden. Every Sabbath day we celebrate our liberation from slavery in anticipation for the day when God's kingdom brings ultimate rest and ultimate liberation. So what do you do on Sabbath? Your Sabbath should be limited to two things, rest and worship. But just like we need to broaden the idea of what worship looks like in the kingdom of God, we need to broaden our idea of what worship is going to look like on Sabbath. Rest and worship for you is going to look a lot different than it looks for me. God made all of us differently, and we all do those things in different ways. But here's what it looks like for me. Here's what a Sabbath day looks like. We wake up. I have young kids, so we don't really sleep in very much. We have a giant beanbag chair in our living room called the Comfy Sack. And, in, uh, and it is perfect for snuggling and napping. That's all my family on, on the Comfy Sack on a Sabbath. Most Sabbath mornings, I'm going to wake up. I'm going to go down and lay in the comfy sack. And Casey will come and join me. And we get some time together to be close to one another. And then my boys come in and they ruin everything. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. They, uh, they make it better. They do. They make it better. Then they, they join us there. And then uh, we may watch a movie. We, we love watching The Chosen on Sabbath. It's relaxing and it helps us focus on Jesus we prepare a whole day before with cleaning and making sure we have food that we don't really have to cook. Cooking is, is a creative outlet for me. I enjoy it. Um, it's something that's creative that's not music for me. So I like cooking. And sometimes on Sabbath, I want to cook something. And that's okay. Because it's a form of rest and worship for me. We take naps. And most Sabbaths, we end the day with a board game altogether or our special adventure game. It's going to look different for you, and that's okay. God made all of us different, and we connect with him, and we rest in all different ways. And I know as my kids get older, it's going to be a lot different for us too. So you're probably thinking, Danny, this all sounds wonderful, but I just don't have the time for that. I can guarantee you 
but you don't have the time for it. It has to be a priority. It has to be first. It's going to be a sacrifice. But when you actually begin to practice it, you realize that it's not a sacrifice. It's a gift. It's not meant to be a burden. God asks us to do it because he knows that it's what we need. In Mark 2, Jesus says this about the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people and not people to meet the needs or meet the requirements of the Sabbath. So don't get legalistic. It's, it's not about checking a box. It's about bringing the kingdom of God. That will never be about legalism. The thing that we have to bring to the altar if we want to practice the Sabbath, is our time. Time is the great equalizer. We're all blessed from birth with different types of resources. Some of us have more opportunity than others. Some have more money. Some have more prestige, influence, and talent. But we all get 86,400 seconds in a day. That's 10,080 minutes in a week. And God has commanded repeatedly that we give him 52 days a year. So I brought a special uh, calendar. I thought I'd get a calendar for this year. You guys have a calendar yet for 2023? I got a kitten calendar. Because it makes me happy to look at the little kittens. Pastor Bart would be so disappointed in me. You guys know how he feels about cats right? So this, is, this represents our 2023. We all get the same amount of time. You know that? So let's go through 2023 together. Do you plan on sleeping in 2023? Do you? Around eight hours a night? That's probably what you should, right? So let's see. That's going to add up. If it's eight hours a night, that adds up to 121.6 days this year. So... There's April. Oh, no. Uh, you know what? I brought another calendar. I brought another one. We're going to start over. So all the way, 121.6 days is all the way to May 1st. And you're spending that much time sleeping this year. Your next thing, do you get ready for work? I factored in about 45 minutes a day. For, for work days only, five days a week. Some of us, that's more, some, some less. Um, that's 8.1 days, right? So there's eight days. Then that's 45 minutes is like half the amount of time it takes Pastor Dustin to get ready. <laughs> Do you think, you think that beauty just happens on accident? It takes time. Do you commute to work? If you commute to work, maybe 30 minutes. That is going to be uh, about 86, let's see, no, that's wrong, sorry, 10.8 days. There we go. Then uh, working, if you work 40 hours a week, that's 86.6 days this year. So let's keep going. We're now in August. All right, do you eat? Yeah, sometimes? Okay. Do you spend about two hours a day eating? That's 30 minutes for breakfast, 30 minutes for lunch, and an hour during dinner. Many of us, it's more than that. That ends up being about 30, uh, 30 days. So this is gone. 
And then uh, do, you, do you watch TV? That's about an, hour, uh, about an hour a day for watching TV or reading. And that is 15.2 days. I already ripped that off. The social media, are you on social media at all? If you only spend one hour a day, that's 15.2 days. Um, it's January 1st. We're all planning on exercising this year, right, guys? We have really good intentions. So if you, if you work out for 15, if you work out for one hour a day, that's 15.2 days. And if you clean your house about 20 minutes a day, that ends up being 4.3 days. I'm making a mess up here. If you celebrate holidays like New Year's, Memorial Day, Labor Day, Thanksgiving and Christmas, that's five days. Or uh, if you plan on spending time with your family, only three hours a week ends up being 6.5 days. Hopefully we're spending more time than that with our families. If you, do, you have a, do you have a kid in sports? That's a, that's a time eater. Uh, for just uh, for a couple of, of practices during the week and a game, that's about 13 days. So we are now on December 7th. December 7th. I haven't included any time with Jesus daily. I haven't included any time to hang out with any friends or hobbies or gaming or volunteering. That's no bathroom time. Some of us, that social media and the bathroom time kind of overlap though, right? Do you see how this stuff adds up? If the American dream is your God, you won't have time to Sabbath. If kids' sports are your God, you won't have time to Sabbath. If people-pleasing is your God, you're not going to have time to Sabbath. How dare we look at this beautiful gift that God has given us and say, I don't need that. Or thanks, but no thanks, God. The Sabbath was made for us. Saying we don't need the Sabbath is like saying we don't need the kingdom of God. Now I got a what if. What if this year we made a commitment to Sabbath for 52 of these days? That's what God asks us for all over Scripture. 52 days. 52 days where we live as if heaven is here. 52 days where we actually become human beings instead of human doings. What what if for 52 days this year, we found our full identity in Jesus alone? If you don't commit to giving those 52 days first, there won't be enough time left over. You can't do it. We're on December 7th. But if you commit to giving God those days first, it brings so much clarity to what is really important in our life.